am here to talk about Romans 12, 6 to 8 are the verses we're going through. We've been through, uh, I think Dad preached on Romans 1 and 2, and Emily preached on Romans 3 and 5, uh, 3 to 5. She's in India at the moment, but that was towards the end of last year, and I, I'm pretty stoked. Romans 12 is probably my favorite chapter of the Bible, so I was, when, when I found out that I was going to get to preach on it, I was pretty excited. Um, the reason of which is I've when I was a kid, I reckon about 12, I got, and I've, I've got it here, I've got an iPod for, for my birthday. It must have been my 12th birthday. But what dad and mum did is they bought the iPod Touch. It's a classic. Anyone remember these? Yeah, pretty good. Um, but they bought it off the Apple store and you could get free engraving at the time. And I, they engraved my name. I guess that's safe. But they also engraved Romans 12.1. And at the time, I didn't really know what it meant. What did it mean to be a living sacrifice? I don't really know. Um, so I just kind of thought it was cool, but I had a phone case on all the time, so I didn't really pay attention to it. But um, moving on, I think about 2019, I, I rediscovered my iPod Touch. It was in a drawer somewhere. It was just sitting, going to waste. It's pretty old, eight gigs of storage. It's got that old charger port. It's, but um, ended up looking at... Seeing Romans 12, 1, being, oh, what does that verse mean? And this is at a time where I was kind of figuring out that God did have a good plan for my life, and I was pretty excited to see what that meant. And when I read Romans 12, it all kind of just clicked together. Like, when you hear that God's plan for you is good and, and pleasing and perfect, and you're wrestling with this idea of whether you follow your own plans for your life or God's plans, it was just a really calming verse and one that I always drew back to. So to preach on it today is a real privilege, and I'm pretty stoked. Um, but... Perhaps not verses 6 to 8. I never really read them. So um, we're going to dig into it today and, um, and learn more about it. I'm happy to say that I did learn a lot about it in my studies of it this week. So I'm really keen to, to preach about it to you guys. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we're all gathered together as your body of Christ, um, united in you, uh, together with you today, God. I just... Pray that um, you bring the you bring the words and and um, you guide your spirit guides me today, Lord. I just pray as well for those here that they can learn about your gifts, Lord. That they can learn about uh, what you have in store for them and and how to use them well. And God, I just yeah, let us learn, let us grow today. In your name, we pray. Amen. All right, so I have some slides up the back, but we'll read the verse first, Romans 12, 6 to 8. Um, I've got like the little bits of context for before and after on there as well, but this is what it says. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now I thought to start off, we can get into a bit of context here. Let's get out the, the shovel and dig in. And um, Firstly, let's remember that these verses directly follow verses 3 to 5, 4 and 5 I've got up there. And what does this mean for us? Firstly, that these gifts are not for each individual, but are given to the body of Christ. In fact, the, the various gifts we all possess is a testament to our dependency to the body of Christ, each other. Um, I've got two reasons for that. 
First one is it's only together that we comprise the sum of all our parts. It's like that scene in um, Transformers where Bumblebee is missing half his car, he's kind of crashed down to earth, and he can't fight because he's only got half his car. Um, <laughs> we used to watch that on Blu-ray all the time um, back in the day. Dad had got his Panasonic Viera and his Yamaha surround system. We put it on the PS3 um, that we got for Christmas. Anyway, um, that was just a good time. Transformers was like the loud action movie that really showed off everything, like the whole system. Anyway, the, the gives are part of a functioning body. That's why Sally serves and, and Roger prophesies and Daryl encourages and Sarah teaches and maybe Roger could prophesy a bit more timely. But it's part of a functioning body. It's part, it's all, it all comes together as one. We all come together as one. That's what the gifts are for. The second reason these gifts testify our dependence on the body of Christ is because their purpose is to serve one another. Think about it. If God didn't want us in community, he'd probably give us the gift of flight or the gift of super strength. Imagine the testimonies people with those gifts could preach. Everyone would be coming to church. Everyone would be wanting the gift of flight. There'd be prayers about it every day. But these gifts are not just neat presents for us. They're by definition shared with others. These gifts, freely given by God, are freely given to others. Now, it gets more incredible when you consider the, the biblical context of some of these gifts. In the Old Testament, prophecy was reserved only for prophets and prophetesses, and serving in the temple was exclusive. It's an, an exclusive occupation, as was teaching the law. In Jesus' death and resurrection and the defeat of sin, gifts once offered on merit and favour are now distributed through divine grace. What we once had to earn is now given freely. And um, how much does the Christian community need Christians from all different backgrounds exercising these gifts? So um, what I guess I'll do here is um, we'll talk about the spiritual gifts. Let's see what the verse actually says. Um, let's talk about what, before I do that actually, let's talk about what gifts are. Um, because gifts, we're not talking about, of course, Christmas gifts and birthday gifts. I was pretty happy this year because I got a, quite a good haul of Christmas presents. Um, <laughs> I got a Fitbit. Um, my heart rate is elevated, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I'm also getting a surfboard, so if anyone wants to go surfing, just let me know. I'm not very, I don't think I've ever been surfing, so we'll see what happens. Um, but that's not what these gifts are. Let's talk about how gifts originated. So when the Holy Spirit fell upon believers on the day of Pentecost, various spiritual gifts began to manifest. Sure, gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues and healing and teaching, but also the supernatural gifts of serving and encouragement and mercy. It should be noted that these gifts don't contradict the natural gifts God bestows us, the the natural talents that perhaps we have from birth. And sometimes they even build on that. But these gifts are of the Holy Spirit and they're of divine grace. Now, something that I discovered that was quite cool is there's no distinction in the Greek language between the gift of divine grace and the spiritual gifts we're discussing now. The Greek word used here is... actually I've got the Greek of the week, actually. Uh, couldn't miss it. The, the Greek word used here is charisma. Charisma... Everyone loves charisma these days, looking for someone who has charisma. Um, but this is not what that means. 
Essentially, charisma means a favor with which one receives without any merit of their own, or the gift of divine grace. But it also means grace or gifts indicating extraordinary powers in which receiving them is due to the power of the Holy Spirit's divine grace. So, there is no distinction between the gift of divine grace and the spiritual and spirit-enabled gifts that come from it. I wonder why God did that. Um, just a suggestion, perhaps so that we can never take any credit for the cool things the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. Uh, theologian J.P. Baker defines spiritual gifts as manifestations of the Holy Spirit working as the Spirit of Jesus Christ in his people. I'll say it again because it's a bit wordy. Manifestations of the Holy Spirit working as the Spirit of Jesus in his people. Jesus moving into the neighborhood, Jesus being a part of our community. So these gifts in Romans 12, they're not an exhaustive list of gifts. This verse is more about exercising God's gifts in the right way. So let's look at what the verse actually says. I'll get you to flick to the next slide as we look through it. Um, But first, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is the gift of prophecy, prophesy in accordance to your measure of faith. What does that mean? Prophesy not by emotions or your ability to speak well, but in total dependence to God, to your measure of faith. And let this be a marker of how you exercise any gift in accordance with your faith, aka in your dependence to God. What it does at the start is it puts this precursor there in accordance with your faith. And it doesn't do it for the rest of them because I have a feeling it's implied that any of these gifts you do in your dependence to God. So the next one, if your gift is serving, then serve. What does that mean? Also it could mean ministry or administration, depends on the translation. Perhaps specifically to serve in the church, but potentially... Paul left that deliberately vague too. But essentially, don't be above serving. Be humble. Next one, if if you have the gift of teaching, teach. Uh, This is the idea of teaching knowledge. It goes hand in hand with prophesying revelation, but they're two different things. What Paul does in the rest of chapter 12 is an example of teaching that you can read on and, and see. If you have the gift of encouragement, give encouragement. Or in another translation exhort urge to urge someone to do good to encourage someone if you have the gift of giving give generously another translation puts it all with simplicity and single-mindedness free of mixed motives and and without regret it's this idea that when you give don't give thinking about how much you're giving or don't give thinking of the nice karma that you might get back or whatever. You, you give simply to help someone. You don't think of the motives around it and you don't get upset when you've given a bit more than perhaps you could afford. If you have the gift of leading, do it diligently. Another translation puts it, direct others with zeal, direct others with energy. And the idea is to not get overly comfortable in the position of leadership, but use it as what it was meant for an avenue for service. And the last one, if you have the gift of showing mercy, do it cheerfully. This idea of charity, this idea of ministering to the needy and the sick with a smile on your face, a cheerful, spontaneous manner that will convey blessing and not cause self-pity. Arthur Way, a 
famous translator of classical Greek literature in the early 1900s um, translated some of the letters, Paul's letters in, in, the, in the Greek and, um, and he wrote it like this. If you come with sympathy to sorrow, bring God's sunlight in your face. And um, yeah, I, we look at this and we see all these gifts and they're exciting, they're quite great, but how do we put them into practice? Because sometimes when we're using these gifts, it just feels really hard and it doesn't work out how we planned. And for some reason, like, it doesn't feel like we might have any gifts or it just doesn't work how we're intending it to. And you think about it and you think these gifts should be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the lives of others, an overflow of the divine grace we've received for others in need. The instructions are simple enough. Why do we fall short? I think sometimes we expect a spirit-enabled gift to flow perfectly. But gifts flow in accordance to our faith, our trust in God. I mean, even faith itself is a gift from God. It says in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Perhaps in times of good or suffering or just times in general, we choose to put our trust in other things before God. Not to say that we don't have faith, but that our faith takes a back seat and fails to be the priority in our life. In these spaces, deceitful ideas take root. In these spaces, the leader's reach becomes more important than the task of leading diligently. The merciful become jaded and and cynical at the sight of brokenness. Ah, yep, seen this before. The giver gives only the fiscally responsible amount, doing so because the karma they get will probably come in handy someday. The prophet falls in love with their ability to prophesy and speak well. The teacher teaches half-heartedly. No one's listening anyway. The server thinks it's time they get what's rightfully theirs. The encourager loses hope. These gifts, some of the Pentecostals here would say that the Holy Spirit has anointed you with these gifts. I like the use of the word in this circumstance. God has anointed you with these gifts. So use them with a posture of awe at the incredible nature of God to consider even doing that. That he looks past our brokenness and wants to be so present in your life. That he believes in you. That he wants to give you good gifts. It's just one of the many examples of God's astonishingly personal love for you. But just as an anointing is a gift enabled by the Holy Spirit, by condition the Holy Spirit can just as easily stop enabling it should you intend to abuse it. And we see biblical examples of this. In 1 Samuel 13, when Saul thought of himself as equal to the prophets, and disobeyed God's instruction by sacrificing offerings when Samuel was meant to, God rejected him as king of Israel and would go on to anoint David instead, a man after God's own heart. Saul's heart was elsewhere. Now, I'll get this point right because things are a little different since Jesus' life, death and resurrection. It's important to say the gift of grace and the Holy Spirit will never leave us so long as we believe in Jesus as our saviour. God's grace isn't going anywhere. But if we try to use our spiritual gifts for things that 
contradict the Holy Spirit, I doubt you have much luck. Anyway, there are lessons to be learnt from Saul. Saul thought he was anointed in ways that he wasn't. He was never called to be a prophet. He was meant to lead as a king. Saul needed to stay in his lane. And yes, we should never live our expectations on the supernatural gifts God gives us. And some of us probably need to expect more. Paul tells us to strive to receive the spiritual gifts, to chase after them. But sometimes the gift just isn't for you, the individual. We should view our gifts in the context of the wider church. We are not the hand and the ear and the, and the, t- the toe and the mouth. We may have multiple gifts, but we are just one part of the body. Maybe you're unsure of what your gifts are. Maybe you haven't heard much preaching on spiritual gifts and it's just a bit of a vague topic for you. Um, another theologian and, and writer, R.T. Kendall, says it like this. You know you're anointed when your gift comes easily. You can't force anointing. Sometimes the right thing to do is to stay in your lane and let someone else serve or lead or teach. Although the need is often plenty and we're trying to do the right thing, are we doing what God has called us to do or are we forging our own path? There may be need, but sometimes the need itself is not God's calling. So how do we do better? How do we use our gifts well? How do we find the middle ground? How do we serve God in this? When God rejected Saul as king of Israel, he gave his anointing to a man after God's own heart, the shepherd boy David. We too should be people after God's own heart. The essence of Romans 12 is exactly that, to chase after God's heart to be transformed by the renewing of our mind by God. Ask yourself, what is God's heart behind what I'm doing? Rarely will we fall if, the question, if that question underlines the use of these gifts. When we're serving, what is God's heart behind what I'm doing? When we're teaching, what is God's heart behind what I'm doing? When we're giving encouragement, what is God's heart behind what I'm doing? If you've got a word on your heart and you want to share it with the church and you want to prophesy, what is God's heart behind what I'm doing? When, where, what else have I missed? I don't know. But this idea is, this question is so important. Don't timidly stumble around, unsure whether a gift is of God or not. Forget that. Instead, be a living sacrifice to God, chasing after his heart with reckless abandon. Always chasing, always asking, what is God's heart? How do I grow closer to God's heart? So, If we're chasing after God's heart, what exactly is God's heart behind the use of these gifts? I thought we should clarify that before we get to the end of this message. Um, And I've got verses at the back. It's 1 Corinthians 12, um, 29 to 31. And um, Paul, this is a spiritual, 1 Corinthians 12 is a chapter on spiritual gifts and Paul talks about all the gifts, but we won't focus on all of that. We'll just focus on the end of it because he's on a roll and he just ends it like this. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now Arthur Way, the translator, no pun intended, wrote this in 1906 when he translated it. It is for you to yearn for the higher gifts, but none of them should represent the summit of your aspirations 
I now point you to a path that leads to heights beyond all heights. And what follows is the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read the start of it. You guys know how the rest of it goes. But if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am but a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What is God's heart behind the gifts you are using? God's heart is to love. Not just to some wishy-washy cop-out, but through gifts that have practical real-world uses. Through these gifts, we get to partner with God in showing his love to the people around us. And I'm not sure of a better life purpose than that. A love that protects, a love that hopes the best, a love that perseveres in adversity, a love that never ends. That's some sort of purpose for us and our gifts. We could continue talking about love, but naturally, that's where the rest of Romans 12 leads. So you hear about that next time someone gets up to preach. I think Dad has that covered next week. Um, And it's just exciting, and I might have stolen a bit of your thunder, but it's it's okay because love is exciting, and that's our purpose. So I'll finish by looking at what we can learn from these verses. I've just got three simple points, and they're at the back. What can we learn? One, we receive gifts enabled by the Holy Spirit to use for His kingdom. Two, gifts aren't a neat little present for us to use however we want. They're a product of his magnificent, life-changing grace. And three, in chasing after God's heart, aka as living sacrifices to God, we're anointed with these gifts so we can serve one another, God's kingdom, in love, in accordance with our faith, aka in total dependence to God. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this, these gifts that you've bestowed on us. I thank you for your spirit that lives in us, that enables us to work in supernatural ways, ways that we couldn't in our own human strength. God, I, I pray for those who may not know their spiritual gifts, may not know how you're working in them. God, I just pray that you reveal that in their lives today, God. I think let's take this moment, if you're someone who has never been, never understood perhaps what their gifts are or never really realized, I just take this moment to talk to God and just ask him to, to reveal his heart for you today as well. God, I just pray that, yeah, we can learn that you're working in us and and through us in all these wonderful ways that that you're giving us the gifts of, of teaching, of prophecy, of serving others, of giving generously, of encouraging, of of showing mercy, of leading God. And I just pray that you use this whole body, God. You use every that everyone here knows that they're you're you're using them. It's not just those at the front. It's not just those 
in the roles, it's not just those in the spotlight, God, but your gifts are for all. They're not picked and chosen. You give them out of divine grace. And Lord, we just thank you for that grace. We thank you for your spirit that goes before us and has led the way for us today. And I just pray that as we serve in in these gifts, we do so chasing after your heart. Asking that question, what is God's heart behind what we're doing? Use us today, use us on this from this day forward Lord um, let us serve your kingdom let us serve each other let us love you God in your name we pray Amen Amen